so good to have your friendship. So good to have your affection, your eyes of love towards us. So good to hear how the, the testimonies of how you reach people in their need in the moment, how, how you are current, how you're fresh today. And I ask you, Lord, to, uh, to speak uh, through us and speak to us, Lord. Your, your voice is living and active and, uh, and powerful, and it's the voice we crave. Uh, so, Lord, we invite you here. We've been going through um, a series of messages on the end times for many weeks. We might have one more. Uh, we've been kind of, I mean, I've been kind of talking about that, but uh, I want to start a beginning. Um, and so I want to start a new thing where we'll go through a book in the Bible. We're going to go through the book of Thessalonians. Um, and uh, I'm kind of excited about that. Beginnings are really important. Uh, they oftentimes start with the ending of something. This is not a hard, fast ending, but whenever you have a beginning, you're having an ending. That's why I'm really excited about the youth service, I mean, the youth time coming up, honoring the beginning, in many cases, for them going to college for the first time, a couple of our folks starting college for the first time, and and uh, and leaving behind 12 years of, of, uh, of education in whatever form that was, and so that that's a that's a new beginning, but you're closing the door on the old, and you're starting the new, we're going to do that with, uh, with Thessalonians. Um, why look at Thessalonians? We have, in general, in this room, three major themes that we seem to keep falling into. They're not really that structured, uh, but we seem to always talk about the end times. We seem to always talk about intimacy with God, his heart affection for us, and that best expression of that is through the Song of Solomon set on uh, Fridays uh, for an hour, but also just talking about his great affection for us which is a mind blower for a lot of people. My, my church in Alaska, I'm on YouTube, I'm gonna be careful you know, <laughs> what, what I say. My church in Alaska was very conservative and some of my friends from that church are very conservative and they have a crisp understanding of the word of God but they don't know the affection of Jesus, not really. They, they can talk about it but they haven't really felt that and it's, it's, it's a lack, I mean I know that lack because I had that lack before I, uh, Realize that the Holy Spirit is more than just two words in the book. Um, and so, anyway, intimacy with God is very close. End times, uh, and um, intimacy, end times. Sermon on the Mount. And Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> Sermon on the Mount living, which is also very radical for our Christian church, especially in America, to embrace. But to take those words of Jesus seriously, where you turn to other chief, where you pray for your enemies, where you do not, uh, where you walk the extra mile, where you do things on behalf of others, that, that's a lifestyle uh, that we uh, want to embrace, and that, frankly, it's time to get back to that as well. Um, Thessalonians uh, was Paul's earliest letter. It was the first letter that we had from him. And so it, it's his earliest insight into what he was thinking. Paul gets converted. Uh, in, he falls in love with Jesus, uh, I mean, in, in a major way, falls off his horse first, then falls in love with Jesus. Falls off his horse, he gets, he gets converted, he's been persecuting the church right up until that point. But around 40 or 45 or so, when he's actually sent on a mission trip to, uh, to the, his first mission trip, um, and then he goes the second mission trip to Thessalonians, he probably wrote letters to many of those churches. He was very affectionate and very tiny in most of them. We just don't have them. 
Thessalonians is the earliest letter we have from Paul. So it's the earliest insight into the way, the way that he was seeing at the time and some of his theologies. Um, and Paul in Thessalonians, I keep talking about this because it amazes me, but he was in Thessalonians for three Sabbaths. That's three weeks. Now, people will, I mean, many scholars will say uh, he was there longer than three weeks. But they say that because Paul saw, taught so much in, those, in, in that period of time. When they look at what he says in Thessalonians and, and what we're going to discover in, our, in the weeks ahead, where how many times Paul says, you know this, and, and you know that this, those things, in other words, he communicated to them in that brief, brief period of time. Scholars will look at that and think there's no way he could have communicated so much in such a short period of time. And, and, and maybe that's true, but there just doesn't seem to be much evidence beyond that sort of calculation that he was there only three weeks, three Sabbaths. And yet it's, it is, the, those two letters, First and Second Thessalonians, are called Paul's eschatological letters. In other words, they're Paul's end time letters. It's where he provides a lot of information about what the end times is going to be like. And so we're going to, we're going to cover that. We've been going through it uh, for some time. And, and every chapter in Thessalonians, in First Thessalonians, ends with some reference about Jesus coming back. And so Paul is talking to these, this group of people in Thessalonica about, about Jesus coming back in every single chapter. Um, and so why study the Thessalonians? The final reason is because in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writes, I urge you to have this letter read among the brethren. So Paul's urging us. So we're going to follow Paul. And listen to him. We're going we're gonna to go in and have this letter read. Um, if it weren't for 1 and 2 Thessalonians, um, we wouldn't know very much about the rapture. We wouldn't know very much about us being caught up together in the clouds to meet Jesus in the air. First and Second Thessalonians has, has some of the most detail about that in terms of us meeting with him, in terms of the shout of the archangel, in terms of the trumpet of God, in terms of the catching up of believers. Um, and it, uh, it entered, it, uh, th this particular letter emphasizes the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus. Um, and so it's, it's sort of unique in that way. Um, uh, what I want to do is talk a little bit about Thessalonica before Paul. Um, so uh, Thessalonica gets started in 315 BC, that's a long time ago, um, but it gets started by Cassander, who is a, a king, a self-declared king, declared himself king. He's a contemporary of Alexander the Great, and in fact he married Alexander the Great's half-sister, um, and her name was Thessalonica. And so he names a city after his wife, and that's, that's where the city gets his name. Um, it has a population, it's like the third biggest uh, city in this region. By the way, I want to tell you that we spare no expense to try and get the media uh, to explain this message. So in, a, in awesome graphics, we want to use the best <laughs> graphics we can. Uh, this. Here's our map of the area. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, just to... Be careful, this is not to scale. <laughs> so, um, I'll turn this a little bit this way. Uh, but this is the blue things, there's water. <laughs> there's Jerusalem, there's uh, Greece, Italy's over here. Uh, Istanbul's like right here, modern day Istanbul, here's Turkey. Here's Bulgaria, where Lizzie is right now, yeah. So she's, she's over here somewhere. <laughs> Uh, Cyprus, um, Syria up here, Lebanon, modern-day Lebanon, um, and so, and lots of water. Mo Isle of Malta is probably way, way over here, where part of that shipwrecked. 
So, um, so Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonica, um, is a port city, and it's located right about here, um, in this, in the in the Aegean Sea. This is the Aegean Sea. There's a really bad version of the Aegean Sea. <laughs> it's actually fairly beautiful. And there's many islands here that I didn't have the energy to draw. But um, uh, so here, here's Thessalonica right here. So, um, and this yellow line is the second second uh, journey of Paul, his second missionary journey, not his first. We'll talk about his first in a minute. Uh, let's see, Port City. Uh, archaeologists have found 25 different gods, 25 different idols or statues that they worship, including Zeus, uh, including some of the uh, many other different idols. They're all multi-ethnic. Well, first of all, 200,000 people is huge for that city. Ephesus was around 250,000. Corinth was around 250,000. 400 slaves, 400,000 slaves. So these are these are uh, these are actually the most influential cities in the region: Corinth, Thessalonica, and Ephesus. Uh, right here, right around the Aegean Sea. All the seven churches of, of uh, Revelation are right in here. Um, but multicultural city, a port city, uh, therefore lots of uh, immorality, lots of diverse um, ways of thinking, lots of, of uh, urban influence. And so um, there's a, a, a temple there of Dionysus. Uh, a god of fertility, and with god of fertility, oftentimes there are temple prostitutes, where you uh, you please the god by having intercourse with a temple prostitute, and so immorality in Thessalonica, as it was in Ephesus, is a very big deal, and sexual uh, pur uh, purity is a very big deal, which gets emphasized. We'll read about that in, in Thessalonica as well. Um, uh, yeah, I think that covers it. Um, Paul and Silas uh, are coming to Thessalonica from Philippi. So they, they travel from here to Thessalonica. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that journey because it's just so fascinating. Um, oh yeah, well yeah, you can see that's, that's a little line there. They kind of traveled that line. Um, they were, uh, they visited in their early 40s. Uh, we know a lot about this because they meet Luke um, in uh, uh somewhere around here. When you read the book of Acts, it's they did this, they did that, they went to Iconium, they came to this, and then, but now we, we cross the Aegean. Luke, writing Acts, says now it becomes we when he joins them right about in here, in Troas, in, the, uh, in that, that section around uh, Acts 15 and 16. Um, so, they, uh, most of what we know about this is in Acts chapter 17. In fact, you might want to open your Bibles and, and, uh, and look at that and get Acts chapter 17 out. This is, uh, this is uh, their trip to Thessalonica. But I'm actually going to go a little bit before that. Um, Paul and Barnabas, Paul, um, people are coming to the Lord in droves. And Barnabas goes and finds Paul. He says, we need a good teacher, and he takes him to Antioch. And so they're in Antioch, hanging out right here on the edge of the Mediterranean, north of Jerusalem. And, and the Holy Spirit uh, says, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the work that I have for them. That's, uh, that's in around 14, chapter 14 or so. They are called out by the Holy Spirit to be set apart for God's work. And they go immediately to Seleucia, and they go immediately to Cyprus. And then, so their missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas, is, is to go from Antioch to Cyprus, 
and then up uh, into um, Perga. Uh, Pamphila is the sort of the county, you know, kind of like Alameda. So uh, Pamphila, when they say we went to Pamphila, they're talking about this region here. They go to Perga, and they hit uh, Iconium, Durb, Lystra, and Presidian Antioch, and they have massive success in, in, and massive persecution in Presidian Antioch. This is their first trip. And they come back through, and they head back to Antioch, and they say, oh my goodness, we had a time. People were coming to the Lord in droves. They talk about it in massive numbers. Gentiles are coming to the Lord. And that sets off in, uh, in Jerusalem the whole question about what do we do with Gentiles who are coming to the Lord who are under the Israel religion, the Jewish religion. Do we circumcise them? Do we make them, do we force them to be circumcised? Do they, we force them to follow the dietary laws that we have? No pork, right? No shellfish. Uh, those, those sorts of things. And, and that's a big question And Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas in particular, is arguing, no, we don't, we don't do that. And James uh, administers this counsel and that you read about in Acts 15, where they finally come to a conclusion, okay, 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 okay here's what we're going to do. We're going to say, uh, we encourage you to refrain from sexual immorality. Uh, we're going to uh, tell you to not eat meat sacrificed to idols and don't eat meat with the blood in it. Do these things and you'll do well. And so that's, that's the gist of their letter. And Paul is, and Barnabas both are so excited. They want to take this news out. So they say, Paul and Barnabas say, let's go back to the route we went and, and go and, and encourage the churches with, with this conclusion from the elders in Jerusalem. Because that's good news. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have, that's be great news for, for many of the Gentiles. And, and you don't have to follow the dietary laws and you get to interact with the Lord on on uh, on your own terms with just these simple three things. So they talk about doing that, but but uh, Barnabas and Paul uh, have one major problem, and that is that they um, when they went to Pamphylia, when they came to Perga on their first trip, Mark uh, John Mark John Mark yeah, was John Mark right yeah John Mark uh, bails he he leaves. He's, Mar he's Barnabas's cousin, uh, John Mark is, and he abandons them. And Paul remembers. Uh, John Mark is not reliable. I couldn't trust on him, couldn't count on him. And so they, they're talking about, let's do this second trip. Let's go bring the good news. And Barnabas says, yeah, and let's bring John Mark. And Paul says, no way. We're not bringing John Mark. Remember that the Holy Spirit called out Barnabas and Paul for the work that we had for them to do mm -hmm. way back in Antioch, mm -hmm. right? And now, now they have a significant disagreement about whether to take John Mark or not. And, and John Mark's willing to go. Paul won't have it. Barnabas wants to do it. They split ways. Barnabas, the great encourager, goes, takes John Mark, and he goes to Cyprus, and he ministers there. And Paul uh, gets, uh, gets a new partnership with Silas, and they go to, to Perga, and they, uh, they, <laughs> they follow my yellow line that I'm so careful with here. They, go, they take the overland route here and go through Derb and Lystra to Iconium to Troas and then and across. Um, but my, my question is, when I look at that, and maybe your question is, um, who is right? Who, who, between Paul and Barnabas, who, who is right in that equation? Because, because Paul has a point. Uh, John Mark was not reliable. He abandoned them. There's different reasons that people say as to why he might have abandoned them. You know, he was homesick, like possibility. He's a young man, 
uh, that he's traveling with him. Some say that he um, he had a real objection to the degree to which Paul was reaching out to the Gentiles, and he wanted to go back to Antioch and report. I mean, excuse me, you know, go back all the way to Jerusalem and report out and say Paul is Paul is off the rails here in terms of spreading our Jewish religion to the Gentiles. So some some say that that was driving. We really don't know what happened, but. But when I look at this, I, I think, my goodness, the Holy Spirit himself calls out that partnership, Barnabas and Paul. And, and it's not like Barnabas was, and it's not like Paul actually was a, was a great leader at that time. The scriptures often tell you who is in prominence by the order of the names. And so in uh, Acts, where it says, uh, uh, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul, that's the Holy Spirit saying, set apart for me Barnabas, who is right now the leader. Who is, the, who is the leader, and, and Paul, who is the apprentice to Barnabas. <coughs> Barnabas is the great one who actually went and found Paul. He's the great encourager mm -hmm. that brought Paul all the way back. And Paul, Paul is, is uh, you know, he's got a resume up to that point that Barnabas had to, had to speak for. In other words, uh, Paul went all the way from Jerusalem, all the way to Damascus, up around here somewhere, dreaming uh, threats about the... Uh, after the church, willing to kill people uh, for the belief in the Messiah, for, for saying that Jesus was the, the Son of God. He's willing to actually have them killed and until he gets, uh, until he encounters Jesus. And so Paul has got a short fuse, in my opinion. I mean, you can just tell. Here's a guy who's, you know, you don't want to poke too hard uh, because he's got, he's got a uh, short fuse. Evidence, we're, we're going to read about this, but evidence that when he's in uh, Philippi, um, he's being followed by a slave girl who is calling out. These men are representative of the Most High God, and they are going to tell you the way of salvation. And, it, and she says it so often. She says it so loud, and she's, she's right at their heels so often that Paul gets irritated and he turns and rebukes the demon that's in her, that's giving her the spirit of prophecy. The demon leaves. That girl was, well, we're going to get into this story. Anyway, anyway short fuse. That's the point. <laughs> so... Um, uh, so who's right? I, the problem with that question, and I, I was asking that question myself, and, and I realized it's not a good question, because um, uh, ministry is messy. Uh, because when you're actually working on behalf of the Lord, things just get messy. Tensions flare, things flare up, and it's how you manage that after. Um, so we learned that Paul, we learned a few things actually from this. We learned that Paul and Barnabas in this situation, they're not infallible. They're not Jesus. They're, they're not, it's not like Paul was walking around being Jesus. And sometimes we, we make that mistake. His writings are so profound. When you look at the book of Romans, when you look at the book of Ephesians and Colossians, what he says about the role of Jesus in creation, his teachings are so profound. They are so over the top that you are tempted to think that here's a man who does not sin. And it's not true. The, the gospel, the, the way that the Bible was preserved, is solid, and you can trust it, and you can have you can have great faith in it. In fact, um, period, new paragraph, different thought. I was up in Anchorage and uh, talking to a friend of mine, and he said his kids are deconstructing their faith. And I said, I, I don't really know what that term means. <laughs> what, what does that mean? He goes, Well, they're they're reevaluating everything. Uh, you know, what what do I believe? What do I truly believe? And and I'm thinking to myself, that's not bad. That's actually a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing for a young person, especially if they grew up in a Christian home, to consider, okay, I know what my parents believe, I know what I've been brought up under, but what do I own? 
What, what is actually part of me? That, that's actually a good thing. What am I going to stand on? What am I going to die for? Because, because it's, it's going to come down to that uh, pretty soon. So you might as well establish that. Deconstructing that perspective is really good. But what happens is if you throw out a standard by which you are evaluating your deconstruction, in other words, if you decide, for instance, that the Bible is not the Word of God, that really the best example and the best standard for me to understand how to reconstruct my faith is to look inward and to decide, you know, based on what do I feel and what makes sense to me and what are the rest of my friends saying, you, you're, you are now standing on a lot of uh, sand because your insides and your friends are not as, uh, are not Holy Spirit breathed. And so my encouragement to him, my encouragement to anybody who wants to basically establish where their faith is, is to stand on the Word of God. That that will hold you. Stand on what that says. What does the Bible say? What, what are you going to stand on? Don't go on what the preacher says or what others say. They're, they are trying their best to try and communicate, but they've got different motivations as well. They've got different things saying it, but when you go to the Word of God and you stand and you hold that before the Lord, you've got a pretty solid foundation on which to rebuild your faith and say, this is what I believe in. This is what I, where I'm going to stand. But and so anyway, Paul and Barnabas, not infallible. Um, but also, uh, our past mistakes, things that we did, things that Barnabas might have done, perhaps, in, in, uh, in not supporting Paul, things that Paul did by, by being too hot-tempered, those things do not have to define you. Uh, Paul goes on to go uh, on this journey and then a third missionary journey and to write most of the New Testament and to do so in a profound way, in a way where he was hearing the Holy Spirit and, and he was... And he was writing God-breathed sentences in that book. Barnabas, though, uh, has been a son of encouragement, and he, uh, he, um, where's my, oh, um, uh, he, he's one of those guys who um, can be counted on to be a leader. In fact, when they had that Jerusalem council where they decided no meat for sacrificial idols, no sexual morality, he was one of the leaders that brought that, that message to the Jerusalem council. Um, we're talking about a man who led the church in his earliest days. He was a church leader in that time, um, and Paul was his apprentice. Uh, and he led that first missionary journey, the first one that went from here all the way up to the city of Antioch, uh, Antioch and back. He led that journey. Um, and so Paul, Barnabas was a man of stature. And, and what about John Mark, the, the one who, the flaky one who left Persia? He writes the Gospel of Mark. That's written by John Mark. And so he, he ends up going back to Jerusalem, and best we can understand, he parks himself under Peter. He, he aligns himself with the Apostle Peter, and he listens to Peter's sermons. And this is the way that Peter's talking about Jesus. And he, he inculcates those into his spirit, and he authors the, the Gospel of, John, of, uh, of Mark. That's, that's Mark. He, uh, he's the one who... Um, and he gets reconciled with Paul, Second uh, Timothy 4.11. Second Timothy is the letter, last letter of Paul where he is facing his own death. And he says at the end, Second uh, Timothy 4.11, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. They, they had reconciled. Paul and Barnabas had reconciled as well near the, near the end, of his, end of his time. Um, but, uh, but I think the lesson there is it's, it's, it's never too late to forgive somebody who let you down. Uh, it's never too late for that. They, they had a lot of years. This is the earliest letter, and so therefore it's very early in Paul's, Paul's ministry. And it's never too late to reconnect with somebody that you've let down 
when, when you are the John Mark in this, in this case, where you can make things right, where you have something that is, uh, is outstanding against you to make it right. A, a good friend of mine in Alaska that I hung out with, he was telling me the story. It's a long story, and I'm going to abbreviate it, because uh, he's an excellent storyteller and I'm not. But he, um, he worked for Pepsi for 40 years, truck driver, drove the tandem trucks in Alaska on Fairbanks and icy roads and uh, did, did good, but he uh, would have his co-worker um, that he would walk by every day, co-worker he'd walk by, my friend's a very diligent worker, co-worker would have his feet on the desk, he'd be, they'd be kind of talking trash to each other, the co-worker, uh, and he didn't get along very well at all. And, and he was mad, my friend, uh, whose name is Chris, uh, is mad at the co-worker, and, uh, and he's just seething. And, um, and they have words, uh, a couple of times, and, and Chris is not the kind of guy to have, that has words. He's just not. He's he's a very gentle spirit. He has to get really riled up to actually uh, have somebody get on his nerves to that degree. And one time, a brother uh, in the Lord was talking to Chris and said, "You know, uh, I always feel like if I if I'm even ten percent at fault uh, in, in an issue, not that I not that it's all my fault, but if I can find ten percent." where I'm at fault, then I go and ask forgiveness. Uh, why? Because I'm the Christian. <laughs> because I'm the one who's representing Jesus in that situation. And so if I'm 10% in the wrong, then I go and make it right. And, and Chris <laughs> Chris kind of hangs his head and and, uh, and realizes he can find at least 10%. That, you know, it, it's it's not his fault, this breach in their relationship. But he, he goes and asks forgiveness. And the, and the guy... Uh, the guy says, "Man, it's all right. It's all right. Just, just you stay out of my way, and I'll stay out of your way." And so that's that's how they answered it, right? That that was a ten percent forgiveness. But later on, uh, we got into this whole story. Well, anyway. <laughs> later on, um, the next thing you know, uh, his this guy shows up at Chris's church uh, because he's interested in, in the God that Chris follows that would cause him to actually humble himself and come to a ten percent notion and and he said and when Chris asked him well, hey I'm so glad you made it he goes well my wife made me which <laughs> is also gospel um, and so, and so uh, later he, he starts to go to his, his own church which is meeting in the old building that we used to meet at that's a story for another day but I I walked away from that story with my friend Chris thinking I that that ten percent is is a good model because I I mostly go on if I'm not if I'm even, you know, if I'm 100% right, then why make it? If I'm even 90% right, I might as well just, you know, walk away with my head held high. <laughs> 85%? Yeah, that's so good. I mean, we're not really down to like 55%. Maybe, you know, I'm still, I'm still, I think, pretty much in the right because I'm mostly right. 55% majority. So, anyway, um, I love that. It's never too late to reconnect with somebody that you've let down. Uh, so, they, uh, this is the journey, I'm, uh, let's see here, I'm not going to read that, I guess, but this is the journey, the second journey, where they go straight uh, here, and they are, they have, they, well, the scripture says, they were forbidden to speak the word in Asia, and so that's why the line goes through here with, with our, hardly any cities, because they were forbidden to speak the word, the Holy Spirit did not allow them to speak the word. I don't know where they camped. I don't know if they talked to anybody there along the way. 
but they did not minister the word because they were forbidden. And while they're at Troas, they have this vision. You remember the vision that Paul has, a, a man from Macedonia saying, come and help us. And Paul's like, hot dog, we've got permission to go. That's from the, this vision. That's why they hustle right across here to Philippi. Um, and that's where they go. I want to talk about Philippi because as Paul is ministering in Thessalonica, where we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks, um, Paul, I, I want to get into his head a little bit. And in his head is this, is this rift with Barnabas. And in his head is, is the things that happened in Antioch. And, and in his head certainly is the, is the Damascus experience. But also in his head very recently is what happens to him in Philippi. Um, so they, uh, so we're going to go to Acts 16, uh, 16 through uh, 24. They go to Philippi, uh, in a brief summary, they, they look for the synagogue, they realize there is no synagogue, you have to have 10 uh, men, 10 Jewish men in order to form a synagogue. They don't have that in Philippi, so the women, and a few men, but not 10, have been meeting down by, down by the river, and Paul is, is talking with Lydia, one of the major businesswomen, a very prominent woman, seller of purple cloth, rich, uh, and she's there and she loves the Lord. And so they, she's the one who invites Paul and Silas to her house and that's where they establish a base of operation there in, in uh, Philippi. Um, and so they're there for a long time. Um, uh, wait, 16, 16 through 24, oh, 16, yeah. Um, she and her whole household is, are baptized, um, and uh, 16. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her master must profit by fortune telling. Uh, this spirit of divination sometimes is called the spirit of Python, but she can she can tell she can foretell the future, and she would do so for a fee. And so she would you know if you would pay her the fee. The masters would get the money, she would predict the future through the demon, and there would be a massive profit. And she was uh, following after Paul and us, says Luke, and she, she kept crying out, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation, which is true. These men were the bondservants of the Most High God who were proclaiming the way of salvation. She continued to do this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. And he turned and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. And when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged him into the marketplace before the authorities. And they had them brought before the magistrates. And so that, that's, that starts uh, a whole series of problems for Paul. That, that act of casting that demon out. It was a mixed kindness probably to that slave girl. In, in other words, it, it, she was likely very tormented by that demon, but also was probably the reason why she was held in high esteem by her owners. And who knows what happened to her after that, but it was a rash act by Paul to cast that demon out. And why did he do it? Some people speculate that when, uh, and, and it's actually pretty good advice, when you get praised by somebody who has a known demon, maybe that's not such great praise after all, even if they're saying, what, saying things that are accurate. But Most High God could apply to many different people. It might not have been the Jewish God. And some of those would say, well, she's, she's doing so on behalf of Zeus. Um, and, you know, and so Paul didn't want there to be any mixture. As some people speculate, other people speculate, just, he was just rash and impulsive um, and could have been. Uh, 
So, uh, but when they drag him before the magistrates, they don't, they don't say that Paul has screwed up our business model. What they say is, these guys are Jews, and they are telling us a lifestyle that we can't adopt because we are Romans. There is a racial divide right here. So they basically, it's, it's a charge of a racial division right there, and, and they are immediately, uh, verse 19, dragged into the marketplace, um, uh, oh, and the crowd rises up, verse 22, and the chief magistrates uh, tear the robes off Paul and Silas, and, and they order them to be beaten with rods. And they're struck there with many blows, and they're thrown into prison, and they are told to guard them securely, and so they throw them into the innermost prison. And so in other words, they are a threat. They're putting them into the prison where they cannot, absolutely cannot get out. They're, they're in that innermost prison. Uh, and about midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners are listening to them, and suddenly there's a great earthquake, verse 26, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were unfastened. That is some earthquake. Verse 27, when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself, supposing that his prisoners had escaped, and knowing that if he gets caught and the prisoners have escaped, it's execution for him already. He might as well just take care of it right now. Um, and uh, But Paul cries out in a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We are all here. And he calls for lights, and they come rushing down between Paul, before Paul and Silas. That jailer and his entire household get saved. They, they say yes to Jesus, and their entire household is saved at that point. This happens in Philippi. Uh, but very soon after, they, uh, the authorities come back. They try and release Paul. Paul says, you beat us with rods, with no trial, with no accusation. You simply drug us out and assumed that we were uh, something different than we were. We are Roman citizens. And when the authorities heard that, they thought, we are in deep trouble because we just beat Roman citizens. And, and now we are the ones who could be in trouble. They begged Paul to be Philippi. And so Paul does. And that's when he goes into Thessalonians. Uh, I mean, Thessalonica. Um, so. Um, Thessaloniki uh, today. What's that? I was at the border. Thessaloniki. 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 That's how they call us. <laughs> I like that better anyway. So, um, so finally, we made it to Thessalonica. Thessalonica. <laughs> Paul has a has a long trip to get there. In his mind, he's he's thinking about this Philippian or Philippiki uh, experience. You <laughs> know. <laughs> it's it's all those things are in his mind as he goes into Thessaloniki. Um, so, what I want to do is read this, um, and then we'll we'll conclude here, just so we're knowing at least a little bit about about this area. So, very short, but in chapter 17 of Acts, this is uh, most of what we know about Paul in this time. When they had traveled through uh, uh, Amphipolis and Apollina, which are not on my map, uh, they came to, to Thessalonica. Uh, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying this, Jesus, whom I'm proclaiming to you, is the Christ, is the Messiah. As some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks, those are the Gentiles, so a large number of Greeks are joining them and the number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob 
that set the city in uproar and attacked the house of Jason. And they were seeking to bring him out to the people. And when they did not find him, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city's authority, shouting, These men who have upset the whole world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities uh, who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released him. And so then the brethren immediately sent uh, Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, right down the road here. They just followed the yellow brick road. And, they, uh, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now the Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Interesting that that, uh, that, that um, little side note from, from Luke there where they said, you know, we really like the Bereans because they went after the word and they studied the word. They, they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek men and women, but the Jews of Thessalonica found out about the word of God that had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also. And they came there agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea. And Silas and Timothy remained there in Berea. And those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens and received a command from Silas and Timothy to come to them as soon as possible. So they left. Um, so... He's driven out of Thessalonica after, I maintain, after three weeks. To Berea, problem brews in Berea, they go immediately down to Athens. And Paul's in Athens uh, here, and then to, uh, uh, I believe it's in Athens. Um, yeah, uh, Timothy joins Paul in Athens, and Paul, but Paul is super concerned because he left Thessalonica suddenly, and he knows that new converts are being persecuted. And so he sends Timothy from Athens to go back to Thessalonica and give him a report. Um, uh, because um, he's, he's worried about them, and he's worried that they might have fallen away, and he knows what persecution he himself suffered, and he can only imagine what the residents of Thessaloniki uh, had to had to suffer as well. So um, this letter is the letter that Paul writes. The letter we're going to be studying, all this to say, all this 30, 40 minutes to say, this letter that we're studying is a letter that Paul writes when uh, Timothy comes back and says, you can't believe it, Paul. They are still strong. They are still going after Jesus. They are they are hurt. They've got questions. Many have died. They've been persecuted. They've been, they are suffering, but they are still strong. And they've got faith and they've got love. And so they, they are, Paul is so excited that he writes this letter uh, and he has, and he provides this great encouragement. So uh, let's have the worship team uh, come up. Um, and, but let me encourage you this week um, to take a minute and read the five chapters, five short chapters uh, in Thessalonians and just kind of get it into your head uh, uh, once or twice. Um, you'll benefit from that a lot. As you're reading, pay attention to maybe what the, what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you. Write, read with a pen and a paper in front of you. You kind of jot down questions you might have or observations or isn't this interesting. Look for repeated words. You'll, you'll see the phrase, you know, a lot, for instance. Um, we're, we're going to be going through some of those. Um, but imagine uh, yourself as, as, uh, as somebody who lives in Thessalonica, who's, 
who's been converted very recently and, and you've got Paul's download into your head or imagine yourself as Paul in that area with all his experiences here. Um, uh, as we uh, go into intercession, uh, Hannah, are you going to do the, uh, are you going to prayer lead? I can't I would love it if you would prayer lead through First Thessalonians like 3 through 6 um, and just reading those scriptures. Okay. So, uh, so great. The worship team, and for those who are new with us, we'll, we'll uh, 